in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. At this point in our message, we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to have our message right now, and at the conclusion of our service, we will be observing the Lord's table, as you probably have already noticed. But I'd like to read my scripture right here uh, before I uh, open God's Word to you in a sermon. But I'd like for you to turn to Matthew 13, and we're going to read just three verses right in the midst of this chapter. So Matthew 13, we're going to continue our series on the parables, and today we will look at two. Matthew 13, I'll begin reading in verse 31 and read through verse 33. It says this, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Let's pray and ask God's help today. Father, as we look at these two parables and we seek to understand what you were teaching your disciples at this time, I ask that you would use these three verses to reorient us to what you're doing in this world. Father, I ask that these words in many ways would be this week kind of a a foundation stone for which we can stand on to give us security, hope, and faith in the days ahead. I ask that you would help me as I explain it, but Father, I ask also that your Holy Spirit would enlighten minds today, that your Holy Spirit would unveil truth, and that Father, this would be indeed a great encouragement to us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What comes to your mind when you think of our government? When I say the government, probably uh, for most of us in this very decisive, uh, divisive political season, no doubt when we think of our government, we think of frustration, we think of chaos, we think of tension. Of course, this particular election cycle has been a tumultuous one. We watch or attempt to watch the debates or watch a news channel or even uh, drive through our own neighborhood and we see the deep divide that is within our country at this time. We can often think, man, it has never been this bad. However, as one who has done... uh, Recently, a lot of reading on the beginning of our government, really it's something to remind us that there's nothing new under the sun. The attacking of people's characters, all of this, it is being played over and over again in the history of our nation. There is nothing new under the sun. Yes, things are bad, but they've been bad for a really long time. Really, ever since the fall. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you and I don't have a responsibility. Of course, God has called you and I, who know him as our Savior, to be light in the midst of this perverse world. He says, uh, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He's also told you that you're to be salt. What does salt do? Salt holds back corruption. We are to be different, and we are to be those who uh, really are God's embassy, God's representatives in this world, even though it's fallen. I trust that all of you will commit your, yourselves this next week, and really the rest of your lives, that you would simply walk in the Spirit, and that's what He's called you to do. You have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, and you accepted Jesus as your Savior He's called you to walk in the the Spirit and to seek His wisdom, even in the midst of your voting. God, I need wisdom. Who is a man who fears the Lord? Him will He instruct in the way that He should choose. And of course, the Apostle Paul, when he thought about big decisions in his life, three of the motivating factors were the glory of God. How can I best glorify God in this season? How can I best be to the good of your church? How can I best be to the good of the gospel's sake? Of course, all of us wish uh, there would be another candidate. Of course, I saw the sign that said, Jesus 2020. Wouldn't that be great to finish 2020 with? Last, Last night as I walked through a neighborhood there was someone who had all these tombstones on it. And it was 2020 and all these things that had died for them in 2020. And no doubt there are a lot of, maybe it's a big family vacation you were supposed to go on. And, and you look at this year and say, man, this was a rough year. But you know what? Jesus is coming. And let's hope that he can come this year. Wouldn't that be great? It would write everything. I do believe the turmoil that we experience in our society today should cause us to yearn for the day when the Prince of Peace will rule earth. In fact, you remember the great prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9? Listen to what it says. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. I'd I'd like it to be on his, don't you? His name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then it says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and evermore. Did you know that there is going to be a day, one day, in which the kingdom of heaven will be the kingdom of earth. The kingdom of God will be visible in the kingdoms of men. The followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you will be part of that kingdom. You will take part in that kingdom. Of course, uh, the kingdom of heaven, when we hear that, it often mystifies us. In fact, there was a number of years ago, Randy Alcorn wrote a book on heaven, Uh, kind of a famous uh, modern author, because there's a lot of people who are interested in what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? So often we look at that as kind of like this neverland that we don't understand, but 
Heaven is going to come to earth. God is going to renovate this whole world. And there's a lot of questions that we have about this kingdom of God, what it's going to be like. It was a few weeks ago, my son Jacob asked me an important question about the kingdom of God. Dad, is there going to be feast? Are we going to have like big meals? For men, that's an important question. You know what I mean? Is there going to be great feast in the kingdom of God? And I'm glad I was able to tell him, yes, there will be great feast in that kingdom. For many of us, we're just confused about the kingdom of God. Or we are often satisfied with just a surface understanding of the kingdom of God. We're not, we don't really delve into understanding it. It's almost like imagine you met someone maybe later this week who worked at Disney's Magic Kingdom. And you were like, cool, I mean, the Magic Kingdom, tell me about it. And let's say that all they did was they just said, hey, it's, it's got a mouse there and there's this castle. I mean, how would you do with that? Would you be like satisfied with that? I'd be like, uh-uh. I mean, tell me about Disney Underground. Tell me about all the different places that there is. Tell, tell me about the behind-the-scenes stuff. I want to know it all. You know what, a lot of us, when it comes to the kingdom of God, we're satisfied. Oh, Jesus is there. It's going to be in the future. But did you know the kingdom of God is something that we ought to investigate? We ought to yearn for. I mean, if the Bible tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, should it not be something that should, like, whet our appetite and something that we ought to be, like, anticipating and wanting to know about? Let me tell you, there is a wealth of teachings about the kingdom of God laid out in the Old Testament. It's like puzzle pieces that are just scattered, prophecies, what it's going to look like. And they're oftentimes expounded upon in the new. Yes, they're difficult to understand. They're difficult to synthesize and bring together. But it's profitable work for you and I to do. And our text today... I'm excited to the fact that Jesus sheds light on a certain aspect. Or you could say if we're looking at this prism of the kingdom of God, we're going to see at least one little part of this kingdom. One little shade. And we get to know what this kingdom is going to be like or a little uh, uh, color of it in two of the kingdom parables that we'll look at today. And we're going to look at two, as you uh, just, as I just read just a few moments ago, we're going to look at the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. And we'll handle these two together because really the teachings are very similar or you could say synonymous. The themes echo each other. And we're going to learn today as we look at these two, and I'm just kind of going to let the cat out of the bag here, and then we'll just unpack it a little bit at a time. But we're going to learn this truth. That although the kingdom of God has humble beginnings, one day it will be visibly great. Let me say that again. Although the kingdom of God has humble beginnings, one day, in fact, later on in our service, we're going to sing a song entitled, One Day. One day it will be visibly great. And you and I need to anticipate that and live, you could say, anchored to these truths. So today, as I unpack this truth, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the parables, and then we're going to look at the point of the parables. 
But first of all, I just got to explain a little bit about these parables. And then at the end of our message, I'm just going to unpack it for you in 2020. What does that mean for you and me as I walk out of one of the doors of this auditorium? How am I to live? Okay, so first of all, the parables. As we come to these two uh, parables found in these three verses, it is good for me to remind you again of the context. Now, we've been in Matthew 13 through a number of messages, uh, so you at least have some idea of the context here, but what's happening as you come to this text? Well, it comes in the midst of seven parables, okay? These are a number of parables, and these two are right in the midst of it. There has been growing opposition to Jesus and his teachings. In fact, for two years, Jesus had talked plainly about who he was and what was going on in this world, but now there was outright rejection of Jesus. It was beginning to manifest itself. In fact, just a chapter before, we see that the religious leaders start to attribute Jesus' work to Satan. Everything you're doing, Satan's motivating it. So the mood toward Jesus is beginning to shift. The crowds, you know what they're looking after and what they're wanting to see? They just want Jesus' bread. Hey, he makes bread. It's pretty good bread. He makes a lot of it. Oh, look at these cool things that he, he does. Look at these miracles. They were interested in those things but they were not interested in his person. What he does at this point, as I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, is he moves to speaking in parables to do two things. One, to veil truth from rejectors. In order for them not to be hardened even more, he starts to talk in language that, you know what, they're not ready, they're not ready for. Because they're already stiff-arming Jesus. So he does that in mercy to them. But he also, at the same time he's veiling truth to rejectors, he is unveiling truth to seekers. If people who really want to know Jesus and want to get to know what he's doing in the world better, then they would begin to investigate a little bit more of what he's saying, and God would unpack truth for them. So here Jesus begins to speak of his kingdom. Now earlier he had told, right when he started to perform his earthly ministry, he told him, the kingdom of heaven is at what? At hand. It's, it's coming. It's, it's at hand. Now to his disciples, two years into his ministry, what's happening is the people are starting to go their own way. He's starting to get rejected. And so for them, it probably begins to appear, maybe it's farther away than we thought. What's going on here? It was almost as if Jesus' following was beginning to falter. And it's in the midst of all of this kind of context of Jesus' ministry beginning to have opposition and him veiling his statements, he gives these two parables to provide for them insight and hope for the future. You know what, if there was ever a time... For us to have some insight into the future and to have some hope when it seems like the world is pressing on us, now's the time. So we come to these parables, and I want you to notice not only the context, but I want you to also notice the similarities. There's two parables, and they're very similar. 
And you may have caught this as I just read those three verses. They're both introduced with another parable came to them. They both start out with the little phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, what is the kingdom of heaven? Sometimes you see in your Bible, the kingdom of heaven, and sometimes you see the kingdom of God. Are those two different things? Are those two different administrations? And some people get mixed up and some, even Bible scholars say those are different. I submit to you, those are talking about the same thing. The guy who is writing these under the inspiration of the Spirit is Matthew. If many of you know that Matthew was a Jewish man. And Jewish men were very careful when they wrote God's what? God's name. And so what I believe he's doing is he's replacing the kingdom of God here with the kingdom of heaven. Referring to where God is located. And he's doing that out of deference to them. And he's being careful. But the the kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven. And so God's talking about this sovereign rule, God's kingdom that's going to be coming down to earth. He's shedding light on this in both of these parables. This is something that is both spiritual and material. It is a concrete, real administration of God that ultimately is going to be on earth. He's talking about this kingdom of God. Of course, both of these parables use, those of you who are into English, it uses a figure of speech. It uses a simile. What is a simile? I think I remember learning. A simile is a figure of speech that uses like or what? As. The kingdom of heaven is like, or it's like this. They both have people in them. One of them, I mean, it covers all of us, a man and a woman. It gives a man, a woman, it also gives a farmer and a homemaker. It kind of covers all the different people who were there in his audience. Both have a very small agent, you could say, in the story. One has a seed, a very small seed, and the other has leaven, which is just a small little substance that's put into a batch of dough. Both have growth spreading greatly. Notice now the details of each one. You know what in the first parable? The kingdom is likened unto a mustard seed that has been planted. I want you to look at verse 31. It says this. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Now most of you have seen a mustard seed before. In fact, all of you are going to get to see one right now. In fact, I'm thankful for my administrative assistant, Rhonda Bleck. She has helped provide a mustard seed for you all. You say, now where? In the pews in front of you. I'm going to invite you to do this. Stand up for a second. In the offering envelope sections of the seats in front of you, okay, if you'll reach in there, there is a little baggie with a mustard seed. Go ahead and go ahead and get them. I want you to get them, okay? Yep, reach in there, grab a mustard seed. Yeah, if, if, you may have to walk a little bit, but I want you to have one right here, okay? And if you don't get one right now, you can check out rows that didn't get used today, okay? That is a mustard seed. Pretty small, isn't it? 
I wanted this to be right before your eyes because it's going to be helpful. Some of you may want to use this as a little like a bookmark. Maybe it's your Bible bookmark from now on. But look at this seed. It's an incredibly small seed. The text says it's the smallest of all seeds. Look what it says in verse 32. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. Now here some of us may be confused. Was Jesus wrong? I mean, isn't Jesus the creator of all the universe? For by him all things were made in heaven and in earth. But is this the smallest seed there is? I mean, for me, this past spring, uh, my wife and I were in Home Depot, and I just saw some of these uh, uh, flower seeds, and I I picked up some black-eyed Susans. You know what black-eyed Susans? I was like, man, I'd love to have some black-eyed Susans. And I opened the bag, and those seeds were like, like a part of this. I was like, man, those things are tiny. Some of you are wondering, did, did any of them come? No, we didn't get any black-eyed Susans as a result of what I planted. But you'd say, is it really this, is it the smallest of all seeds? Is Jesus wrong here? We have to remember that Jesus is talking in context to these Israelites. He's talking in reference to the herbs of the, the, of the garden. He's talking about what they're planting The whole context here is he's not saying, it's not like Jesus is wrong, because Jesus is always right. Let me just tell you, whatever he says is right. He's talking in their context. He says, this is the smallest of seeds that you all use. The point is that it was a very small seed. And the, the, the story tells of a man who planted it in his field And it grew exponentially. In fact, this type of mustard seed can grow to 10 to 12 feet in Israel. That particular uh, type of mustard seed. And it will dwarf all the garden plants. I mean, it is much larger than all of them. To the point of the, the parable says it is almost like a tree... Large enough for even the birds to nest in. And as I mentioned to you a number of weeks ago, this area that uh, Jesus is doing this teaching is the great migrational pathway of millions and millions of birds. And his point was this. His point was something incredibly tiny is going to become something great that is going to support everything. Now at this point, What some commentators will begin to do is I think they take a step too far and try to interpret too much within the parable. You know, sometimes you can say that something that illustrated one thing and move it over to another parable. And I don't think that is the case here because what happens is it begins to mention birds. Some have misinterpreted the parable to mean that God's kingdom, they would say is the church, that it would grow, and what the birds would represent is something bad within the church. Because you remember a couple of parables before? Remember the parable of the sower? When he sows the seed, some birds show up. And what do the birds illustrate? 
Remember? Satan. So what some people would say is, oh, God's kingdom's going to grow and it's going to be the church, but within the church there's going to be false teachers and those who are going to mess up things within the church, so beware of them. I will caution you against that. In fact, good men have, I mean, one of my favorite expositors is G. Campbell Morgan, and this is what he said, okay, I think this is what it's talking about. I would disagree. I believe here we are just transforming the meaning incorrectly from one parable to another. Normally a parable has one point. And the picture here, the one picture he's trying to express is that there is something incredibly insignificant that will grow exceptionally. It will blow away everything else in the garden. Some of you are not used to mustard seeds. Maybe you're familiar with, uh, you could say, sunflower seeds. I remember when I lived in Wisconsin for a time, we would go up to visit Door County, and we would see sunflower plants, and how those would just be abnormally large in comparison to everything else. You know, that's what's the idea here. Here's something that's tiny. I mean, look at that thing. And all of a sudden, it grows magnificently. That's the point. It is that the kingdom of God, okay, is going to grow in incredible ways. Now, the second parable speaks of not, you could say, vertical growth, but the second parable goes right alongside of this, but speaks of a little bit different type of growth. The kingdom of God here is likened to leaven that a woman puts in three measures of flour. Listen to what it says, verse 33. He told another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. Interesting, maybe those of you who uh, like to compare this with other texts of scripture, it's interesting that three measures of flour is what Sarah used to bake bread when she was in Genesis 3 and making bread for the visitor, the, the heavenly visitors, you could say. It's the amount of flour that Gideon uses when he makes uh, uh, bread for his angelic visitor. It's the amount that Hannah uses. What's the significance of that? I, I believe just the significance of it. It was just a normal amount of flour that people used in households to make bread for their family. It was a large amount. You and I today, when it comes to making bread, now I say you, we, I never make bread. My wife does, but uh, uh, this stuff is like above my pay grade when it comes to uh, understanding all of this. But we use yeast in our leavening process today. It's our leavening agent. Where I see this often happening is each year my wife at Christmas makes cinnamon rolls, normally in the middle of December, She'll make cinnamon rolls for the holidays, and she gets the dough ready. And then after she gets the dough ready, she adds yeast to it, and then she sets it aside. And after a a good amount of time, all of a sudden that little dough, amount of dough, all of a sudden becomes huge, almost like you can punch into it, and then it just keeps expanding. Bakers often will do this. They will take a part of a leavened uh, pack of, uh, I'm trying to find the word, 
what is the word? Uh, batch, there it is. They'll take a, a small little patch or batch of one thing of dough and add it to another thing of dough, and all of a sudden it leavens the next lump. I guess it was in old times, of course, even now, Jewish brides would often be given a starter from a parent's home of their bread, and it would be passed on from family to family. And so the idea here is something very small that's added into this batch of dough that over time, you could say, infiltrates the entire batch. It grows internally. Now here, once again, we've got to be careful of misinterpretation. Because just like birds sometimes have a bad connotation in some areas of the Bible, you know what leaven does sometimes? It has a bad connotation. Some people say, oh, there it is, Pastor Brian, again. It's the leaven. And it's, it's something bad that's within the church. And we've got to realize that leaven is often used in other parts of your Bible in good instances. And so don't make the improper, you could say interpretational mistake of just saying, oh, this is because of bad stuff within the church or in the kingdom. It's going to mess up things for a time. Just like lion, the lion can be used in a good way, in a bad way in the Bible. It's used for Satan. He roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But in other places in the Bible, the lion illustrates who? Jesus Christ. The main point of this leaven is this. Something very small will organically fill the entire lump. This was a picture of the internal growth of the kingdom of God. What is all this? I just explained these two parables. What's the point of it? Here it is. The points are very similar. Jesus is telling how his kingdom, the kingdom of God, would be very insignificant in perception at first. However, it would ultimately grow and permeate the world, and it would be great, and it would fill the earth. You know, stupid illustration in our day is like kudzu. Okay, we in the South know what kudzu is. It's this weed... I remember there used to be a joke, a farmer planted kudzu in the middle of his field and it beat him to the fence, okay? It grows fast, okay? What the Bible talks about is God's kingdom, it's going to be so small, but one day it is going to permeate and spread across the whole world. The disciples here realized that most of their number at that time were the outcasts. They were fishermen, they were the down and outers, In fact, in the coming months, what would happen to Jesus? He would be crucified. They would be persecuted. That would all accelerate. But what Jesus was doing was he was inoculating them very early to let them know, my kingdom has humble beginnings, but one day it will fill the earth. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Jesus has a plan in all this. In fact, his first coming, as I've mentioned to you numbers of times here, his first coming was here to be able to deal with the problem of sin. So that you and I can even have a chance to go into the kingdom of God, he had to deal with sin. You say, how did he do that? He did it by giving his own life as a ransom for sin. You and I, 
There was no way for us to enter into the kingdom of God on our own. We needed the blood of Jesus Christ to be shed for our sins. And what did Jesus do? Jesus lived a flawless life and then died a substitutionary death. And after he died, he rose again the third day and he conquered sin, death, and hell. And if you will place your faith in him and repent of your sin and depend on him, he will deal with the problem of sin in your life. In fact, the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's your biggest problem is your sin and your condemnation. But Jesus that first time came to deal with that. And even as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey at the beginning of the Passion Week, his his eyes filled with tears as he thought about what was going to happen to that particular city, but he was laying the foundation for us in his eternal kingdom. But let me tell you, that wasn't the end of the story. There is going to be a day that he deals with the presence of sin. In fact, he will eradicate all the wrongdoing on this planet. He will eradicate it and set up his kingdom and reverse the curse and bring back everything to what it ultimately is to be. You know what, you and I, we've seen some growth, you could say, of the kingdom. Think about that small group of disciples there in Acts chapter 1 and 2 and how that on Acts chapter, I mean, in Acts chapter 2, after he preaches the, the great message at Pentecost, that small number, 120, grows into 3,000. And what we have done is we've seen Christianity grow. This is happening through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, there's still lots of questions about what are the aspects of the kingdom that have started now. Is it here already? Is it coming? What's going on? And I'll tell you this, you read the commentaries and you read different people who, have, who come from different theological standpoints, there's a lot of good debate in reference to what aspects of the kingdom are here, what's going on. One thing we know for sure is this, God is sovereign over all. He reigns, he is in charge, and he is working all things after the counsel of his will. But I personally believe that the kingdom of God is still ultimately coming. In one way, it was in the disciples' midst at that time, because who was in their midst? The king. They were looking at the eternal king, and it was there. It is among you, he said. It is, it, was, it is somewhat, you could say, here in that I'm looking across this room and I see many of you who I've heard your testimonies about coming to follow Jesus Christ and I know that you're a future subject of that kingdom. You will be a part of that kingdom. However, that's not, you could say, the full extent of it. It is spiritual in that it is in us, but I believe you and I wait for Jesus' second coming in the ultimate physical manifestation on earth, beginning with an event called the millennial kingdom. He will reign physically on earth for a thousand years. So what do you and I do in the meantime? In the meantime, 
We don't need to be discouraged thinking that it's so far away. You know what? We can feel so often that God's kingdom is suppressed and that it will never appear. This next week, we may find out, and I say we may find out, we may find out what our U.S. government will look like the next four years. And for some of us, it could discourage us. Did you know that this parable was for us? It's interesting. You know, I was supposed to preach this message three weeks ago. But God in his sovereignty allowed things to change. And he wanted you. In the, when I plan my sermon schedule, sometimes God has ways to put things right in our lap at just the right time. Did he, you know what he wanted you to hear this Sunday? He wanted you to hear that his kingdom is coming and it'll have humble beginnings, but you know what? It's going to be great. And he wanted you to fix your eyes on it and be encouraged. I love how God does things like this. This parable is for us because one day the king of heaven will fill the earth. It will be both a physical and a spiritual kingdom. It will be set up here on earth. It will be a renovated creation. I mean, think about the first creation. I love the season of fall. I love seeing the beauty of nature outside. As you, many of you know, uh, two weeks ago I was in Utah and was able to see much of God's beautiful creation out there. You and I live in a beautiful world, but it's fallen. You know that the first Adam, when he came, what was he supposed to do? He was, ex- he was supposed to exercise dominion on the earth, but he failed. He messed up, and the world is now full of curses. Many of you experienced the curse this past week. You saw trees uprooted and and you're picking up debris. You see the fallenness of our world. When I was in Utah, I remember sitting at a round table with a number of missionaries and they started talking about this particular thorn bush there in Utah and how it's just a vicious thorn bush. They said, I don't know, I mean, that's directly from the fall. You and I have a broken world, but let me tell you, there is one day that King Jesus is going to come and he's going to renovate this whole creation. You read in your Old Testament about what he's going to do to the land of Israel. Some of you have visited the Dead Sea. Why is it called the Dead Sea? It's because it's dead. There's nothing living in it. But you know what the Bible talks about that future kingdom, that millennial kingdom? One day people will fish in it. It's going to be renovated and God's going to do this. Yes, it seems humble right now, but God is going to restore this. It's coming. So what does that mean for you and me? As you and I just process these two parables, what must you and I do? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. How should you and I allow this future growth to affect me in 2020. I'm going to give you some application. How do you navigate this next week? Because of God's coming in the future and his kingdom being great. Here's one thing. You ought to be people that share the message of King Jesus often. Because his kingdom is coming. In fact, listen to what Jesus told his disciples after he resurrected. He said this, And he said to them, thus it is written, 
that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins, what should happen with it? It should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then he tells these disciples who he ran into on the road to Emmaus, he said this, you are witnesses of these things. You know what our job is? Our job is to share the message of the kingdom. It's coming. Some of you may have been a part of a campaign this year and you did little things to try to get your candidate elected. Let me tell you, there is a much more important campaign. And you ought to give yourself to the proclamation of that kingdom because you know what? It is secure and it will happen. You are to plant the seeds of the gospel in other people's lives. I mean... Let me ask you this question. How many of you in this room, you can raise your hand, how many of you planted an apple seed this year? I didn't think anybody would have. Nobody planted an apple seed. Now, some of you may have thrown an apple in the woods and you said, I planted one. Okay, okay. How many planted an orange tree? Anyone plant an orange tree? Anyone plant a banana tree? Okay. Guess what? Because none of you planted any of those seeds... I guarantee none of you are going to have an apple tree sprout up in your yard. None of you are going to have an orange tree and none of you are going to have a banana tree. You just won't because you didn't plant the seed. My question to you is this. How many seeds of the gospel did you present this year? How many did you plant? I mean, if you were to go through January 1st to November 1st, and said, how many seeds of the gospel have I planted? If you said, I haven't planted any. Now, God may do something special in your life, but I'll tell you, if you don't plant seeds, they're not going to grow. So you've got to get planting. And the Bible says this, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. But he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. You ought to be sowing seeds of the gospel. Look for opportunities with your neighbors, with your coworkers. Look for ways to write letters. Say, God, help me to spread the message of your kingdom. Some of you have helped a campaign. Help Jesus' campaign. Okay? He's going to win. Okay? So tell people about it. Encourage people. We so often live such isolated lives from sharing the gospel. If you have ideas of how our church can do a better job at this, vocalize them. Get other people involved in it. Don't just wait. Oh, the pastors have to initiate any sharing of the gospel within our assembly. No. Share it. Get people on your side. We'll help equip you and train and do things that we can help assist it. But all of you, get involved in spreading the message of Jesus. So, number one, share the message of the kingdom. Number two, submit to the king. Okay, now I'm talking to those of you in this room. You have never embraced King Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus answered him. He's talking to Nicodemus. He says, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born a second time, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You in this room who hear about the kingdom, it may look so small to you, but one day it's going to fill the earth. And the only way for you to be able to see it is if you're born a second time. And it's a radical birth. 
It is where you turn from your sin and say, God, I don't want my sin anymore. It's going to send me to hell. And you place your faith in him and him alone. It's where you choose Christ. He's the one. And you submit to King Jesus. He is going to be the authority in your life from this point on. He's going to call the shots. You submit to King Jesus. That's what you can do. And some of you, you've done that, but sometimes we easily go astray. And we got to just sometimes rededicate ourselves. God, I need to keep following you. And some of you may need to do that today. So submit to the king. Next thing is this. Seek first the kingdom of God. What should be your priority in life? Above all else, it should be God's kingdom. That should be the motivating thought in your life. Listen to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What that means is this. Remember the context of that particular verse is all of the people that Jesus is speaking to. They're so often worried about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear, where they're going to live. Are they going to get taken care of? All their needs going to be provided for. And I'll tell you, we live in a society today that all of us are always worried about Am I going to be provided for? Am I going to have a big enough nest egg to sustain me when I can't work anymore? Am I going to have enough to pay this bill and that bill and that bill? Let me tell you, you're not supposed to be anxious about any of that stuff. Your priority should be this, to seek first. Your priority is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not only, I mean, you need to be credited with his righteousness through the the blood of Jesus Christ. But you know what you also need to do? Those of you who have been credited with his righteousness, you ought to be people that seek to display his righteousness to those around you by developing the fruit of the Spirit. Seek that. Add to your faith. What does he say? Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and the knowledge self-control and to self-control godliness and the godliness brotherly kindness and the brotherly kindness love. And if these things be in you and abound, they make you you're not barren and unfruitful in all things. But that, what are you doing? You're preparing yourself an entrance into that eternal kingdom. You ought to be people that give yourselves. Seek first the kingdom of God. In fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount is this. How can you live as citizens of the kingdom while you're still citizens here on earth? I saw this illustrated yesterday. Uh, my wife was coming back from, uh, my son got his learner's permit yesterday, and she was on her way back on Arnold Mill. And many of you are familiar, uh, if you've driven up Arnold Mill a number of times, there's this very interesting structure there on, uh, on that road called the castle, okay? Most of you know the castle. Basically, it was, a, uh, it was a building that was built by a gentleman for his wife who always wanted to live in a castle, and so he built one. It almost looks like a putt-putt golf course, okay? It, it has a, a swimming pool around it that it's, it's moat. And if you look kind of toward the back, there's a diving board, okay? There's a diving board there. And uh, great, great place to swim. I, mean, I know many of you have always like, I wish I could tour that place or whatever. But something that was very interesting, in fact, they may be watching uh, today, that it just tickled my whole family. Well, yesterday, on their way, 
back to our house, my wife and son saw one of our families who for Halloween dressed up like a king and queen and daughters. It was the Cahill family. And they just did something extremely creative. They stood out in front of the castle, dressed up like the king and queen and the princesses, and were waving at people. And the people were honking their horns. They were loving it. In fact, my wife went by and said, and my son says, I think that's the Gale. So they turned around and took a picture of him. You know what? They were living like they were the king and queen. Even though they weren't. Let me tell you, you and I live in a world, and you know what God's kingdom looks like? It looks like this guy who lives on 140 who's just built this little castle. It looks so humble. But let me tell you, one day Jesus' kingdom is going to fill this whole world. And you know what you and I are? We are not We are not simply citizens. We are sons and daughters of the king. And all of his wealth has been given to us in Christ. And you know what we are to do? We are to live like citizens of the kingdom. We are the kings and queens and princesses and princes to live by who we are in Christ. And we ought to proclaim the message of his kingdom on a constant basis and live this particular way. And that leads me to the fourth thing you can do is you can pray for the kingdom of God. Pray for it regularly. In fact, listen to what Jesus said to his disciples when they came to him. They said, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. And then he says this, your kingdom come. You know how you can be a person who constantly is thinking about the kingdom of God on a regular basis? It's this, where you put on your prayer list every day to pray for God's kingdom to come. If you're praying about it, it'll become your meditation. And if it becomes your meditation, it'll soon become your practice that you'll live for a different realm. And that's God's kingdom. So pray for it. And then the final thing is this, don't get discouraged about its slowness. I don't care what happens this week. I don't care whose administration gets moved up or down. I'll just tell you this. God's in charge. And one day his kingdom is going to fill this earth. Although the kingdom of God has humble beginnings, one day it will be visibly great. Let me tell you, he will win. And his administration will be an eternal administration So what do you you and I need to do? We need to let these parables encourage us. Look at this mustard seed. Let this be a little bookmark in your life. It may seem small now, but I'll tell you this. It will be visibly great. One day it will spread like leaven through this whole world. It will germinate, grow, and fill the earth. So may God help us to be people who say to him, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you orchestrated these two parables of the kingdom of God's growth to be given on this Sunday before our election. Father, I ask that you would allow your kingdom to permeate this world. Lord, I ask that you would do it sooner I pray as they prayed many years ago, Maranatha, O Lord Jesus, come.
set up your kingdom. Lord, I ask that till you come, that you would help us to be a church that radically gives ourselves to spreading and living for your kingdom, spreading the the message of your kingdom. Lord, help us to live in deep relationship with our Lord and help us to herald Jesus' name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.